We'll begin our lesson this evening reading a lengthy passage beginning in Genesis chapter 29, and we'll read verses 31 through 35, and then we'll go on into chapter 30 as well. So let's begin reading in Genesis chapter 29 and verses 31 to 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, which means he sees. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, which means hearkening. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi, meaning joined. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, means he shall be praised. Then she stopped bearing. In Genesis 30, beginning at verse 1, we read, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bila. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bila, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bila conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan, meaning judging. And Rachel's maid Bila conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, meaning wrestling. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad, meaning troop. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, meaning happy. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you for my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, meaning he will be hired 
or there is reward. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun, meaning dwelling. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah, which means judgment. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph, meaning let him add, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And that is why God's plan for marriage is one man with one woman till death do they part. God allowed this dysfunctional family to do the things that we read here. It was certainly part of the custom of that day, the things that that took place. And it wasn't a matter that Jacob married and divorced and married and divorced. He took care of all of his family, and he treated all of these as his wives. But that was not God's ideal, not from the beginning. Uh, And Jesus, when he, in his earthly ministry, he taught that from the beginning, that was not the pattern that, and the ideal that God had for marriage. And so when we come to the New Testament, and we come to this church age, we have clear doctrine and teaching that it is God's will for one man, one woman, to be married till death do they part. Now, we understand that for some, that the ideal is is past, and we don't just throw those that have not been able to live up to that ideal, we don't throw them on the trash heap. God can take you where you are, No matter what your condition is, no matter what your present condition is, if you will surrender to him your whole heart from this point on, God can lead you and bless you. But as far as the teaching, as far as what God's ideal is and what every young believer should understand is the will of God for them, is this one mate for life, to have a family as God orders and as he ordains. All of the jealousy and the competition, the turmoil and the division that we see in this family, it continued for generations, generation after generation. There was this constant turmoil, competition among the tribes that descended from this family. And whenever we fall short of God's plans and God's ideals for our life, that's what our life is going to be full of. We make our life more difficult when we don't pay attention to God's instruction for our life. God chose this imperfect family, this dysfunctional family, and it only gets worse, this dysfunctional family. But through this imperfect family, God was executing his perfect plan of redemption. And we we see this all through history, and we see this all through God being faithful to fulfill his word and fulfill that, that supreme purpose of his creation, which is the redemption of all of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a perfect work. It's an eternal work. 
and nothing and no one can annul it. And so God used this imperfect family to do his, his perfect work of redemption. God did not order. He did not make this family be jealous. He didn't make all of the, the, the things that we see, the carnality that we see in these individuals. He didn't make them make those choices. And yet God used all of this to fulfill his plan. To me, this is one of the the most amazing things about the infinite God. He sees the end from the beginning. He allows men to make their choice, and he holds them accountable for their choices. And yet, and, and he even allows the evil choices and the evil deeds of men to bring about his will. I, I don't quite comprehend how all of that fits together. But you look through history and you see that's exactly what God does. He holds men accountable even for their evil choices. And yet sometimes he uses even those evil choices to bring about his will. God was, he had promised to prosper Jacob. And that when Jacob did finally return back to the promised land, that he would do so rich and prosperous And that from him would be a great nation. And so we see that already beginning to be fulfilled in this very quickly growing family. So God used all of these things to fulfill his word. Both the the commentaries of Leah and, and Rachel as well as God's own commentary on the value of children. Let's go to to Psalm 127. Now in that day... Your children were your workforce, and they were also your, your security force. And so obviously, the more the merrier. The more children you could have, the more work you could get done, and you could protect what you have grown or what you have gathered. And so obviously, the more children you had, the, the better off you were. And so that's part of what, what is being found here as a blessing from God. But here in Psalm 127 and and verses 1 through 5, we see the value that God places on children. And once again, the statements that I make, they they are not coming from a political standpoint. They are simply coming from agreeing with what God says to be true. God puts value on children, and he knows them when they're still in the womb. He already knows who they are. And he places value on that life. And in Psalm 127, beginning at verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. These are solid truths that have to do with every aspect of our life, including having families. Notice it doesn't say that we shouldn't build a house. Notice it doesn't say that we shouldn't guard the city. But we are to do all of those things, understanding that apart from God, all of our labors are in vain. They mean nothing. With God, when we look to him for all of our responsibilities and tasks, he's going to enable us to fulfill them and be successful and prosperous in those things. So that includes any task we go to do. But here we can also apply it to that of having a family. It is in vain for you to rise up early to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. 
Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. It's a, they're a gift from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So again, the, the perspective from that day and age and the customs there, that when you have a large family, that's to your advantage in so many ways. But even today, just one child, still God places that value that he places on children. Children are a heritage. They are a reward, a gift from God, and they should be considered as such. Cultures change, societies change, but the truth remains that children are a gift from God and they should be treated as such, even when they are a pain sometimes, remembering that God values them, that children come from God and they belong to God. And we only have them for a little while. And our responsibility is to be stewards of those gifts, to equip them and prepare them for life and for eternity. And the only way to do that is to give them the word of God. Deuteronomy 4, verses 37 to 40. So why did God choose this dysfunctional family? God made it clear to Israel that it wasn't because they were so much better than all the other families. We see clearly they were just like everybody else. But here in Deuteronomy, beginning at verse 37 of chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, God reminds Israel why he chose them. And because he loved your fathers. Therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. It was because God loved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were declared to be righteous. Why? Because they believed the promise of grace. They were made right before their creator. And God loved them and gave them those promises of grace, and they received them. They believed them. And so that's why... God continued to use this family that was so dysfunctional, and, and though it starts with this immediate family, the, the nation that comes from them, they, they have a long history of being dysfunctional. And yet God loved them for Abraham's sake because of faith. In Ephesians 1, when we consider all of this and how that God used this family to do his perfect work of redemption, to bring in the the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that all of these different mistakes, the jealousies, the division, the anger, the hatred, none of that could overthrow what God wanted to do. And in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, I, I thank God that, that we can't mess up his work of grace. He loved us. We believed what he said about his son. We accepted that gift. And now that I have that gift, there's nothing that I can do to mess it up. 
It wasn't my plan to begin with. It wasn't my good works that brought it about. It was God's faithfulness, God's grace. In this familiar passage, again, let's emphasize this work of salvation, this redemption, how it is from beginning to end God's work. It's not ours. We benefit because he loved us, just like Jacob and his descendants entered into those earthly blessings because God loved them. The same is true with us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. How many ways can it be, can it be said? Well, we're going to read a few more. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather in, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory." I'm glad that sinful man cannot overthrow, cannot derail the plan of God's redemption. It's his work. I'm his work. He made me his own. Each individual man, woman, and child have to make a choice whether to accept or to reject the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But the offer is made to whosoever will. I think I'll stop there tonight.